Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, we'll present portions of a news conference held by Governor Mike DeWine on Wednesday, updating Ohioans on the coronavirus. It includes comments from doctors in Cleveland and Cincinnati and a nurse in Columbus. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend looks at the year 2021 and the pandemic, as well as Ohio's job situation. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with Chad Jester, president of the Nationwide Foundation, about the state's new effort to beat the stigma of addiction. First up on Columbus Perspective, Governor Mike DeWine held a news conference on Wednesday to update Ohioans on the coronavirus. There are 5,601 COVID-19 patients in Ohio hospitals. That's the most since the pandemic started. Intensive care units around Ohio are 87% full. There are about 1,200 COVID patients in intensive care and about 800 of those on ventilators. This news conference is edited down. We've included comments from Governor Mike DeWine as well as a doctor at the Cleveland Clinic and one in Cincinnati and a nurse in Columbus. This runs about 11 minutes. Here's Governor Mike DeWine. Uh, Sadly, uh, today we have the highest hospitalization count people with COVID um, during this pandemic. So today we have more Ohioans with COVID in the hospital, hospitals throughout the state than we've had at any other time during this pandemic. We're going to hear today from some of our hospitals, some of our zone leaders. But before we do that, uh, I think it's important to emphasize something. What we're seeing in our hospitals, uh, our hospitals filling up our emergency rooms, is being driven by people in Ohio who are not vaccinated. And the numbers uh, clearly, clearly show that. If you're vaccinated, um, the chances of you ending up in the hospital are pretty darn slim. If you add a booster shot, if you're eligible for a booster shot and you add that booster shot, that reduces your odds of ending up in the hospital uh, even, even more. Looking at the data uh, since June 1st, we picked June 1st because that is when I think virtually everybody in this state had the opportunity to to get vaccinated. Uh, Since that time, uh, our data shows we've had 35,962 people who have been admitted to the hospital because of COVID. Uh, Of those, 2,687 of those were fully uh, vaccinated. 2,687 were fully vaccinated. So that means that 92.5% of the people in the hospitals have not been vaccinated. Uh, I think it just, again, confirms what our medical community has been saying to all of us. Uh, And that is in these vaccines, we have a very, very powerful tool. And it's a tool uh, that almost without exception uh, is going to keep Ohioans out of the hospital. So again, if you've not been vaccinated, please, please think about being vaccinated. It is your choice, but the evidence is abundantly clear. This is the best way, the best way to stay out of the hospitals. Let me now go to the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, Dr. Wiley, uh, zone lead uh, one up in up in the northern part of the state. Dr. Wiley, you want to just, uh, if you could, maybe um, tell us some of the things. Share with some of the uh, with the 
public uh, some of the things that you shared with us this morning on on the call. Thank you, Governor. And uh, first of all, the governor's mentioned that we have over 5,000 people hospitalized, but let's put that in perspective. Adjusted for the size of the population, that is the highest rate of hospitalization for COVID of any state in the United States. We also have a positivity rate in terms of testing of over 24%. That's in the top two states in the United States. So what does that mean to the zone, which extends from uh, Youngstown to Toledo, south to Canton and Dover, New Philadelphia? It means we have over 3,000 people hospitalized within just the northern part of the state. And today we set a record, not only for the entire zone of over 3,000, but we had the highest number we've ever had in the Cleveland and the surrounding area of nearly 1,500. And in the, in the Akron-Canton area, 1,111. As we look at the individual county, take one like Cuyahoga, which is the highest in the state and one of the highest in the United States in terms of number of cases per day, we're recording nearly 3,000 cases a day with Summit County to our south at over 900. As we take a look at the Cleveland Clinic, what does that mean to an individual healthcare system? Then I'll expand out to the zone because it means the same to the entire zone. I'm obviously most familiar with the Cleveland Clinic. Today is the first day since the pandemic started. We started with over 1,000 patients with active COVID in the hospital. We had over 210 of those patients in the ICU and under critical medical care. As we look at the rest of uh, the things that we're dealing with, our caregivers, our nurses and our environmental service workers and our doctors are getting COVID just like everybody else is in the community. This morning, we had the highest number of people out that we've had since the pandemic started. Over 2,700 of our workers were out. Now, we're contacting them with the new CDC recommendations to see how many are well enough to start to come back in. And that's going to be a couple hundred in the next couple of days. But still, this is a remarkable number of people out. All the hospitals in northern Ohio have stopped elective surgery. They've started to bring people who are not necessarily in clinical care all the time, like research nurses and quality health nurses, back in to work within the hospitals to try to take care of these COVID patients. So what I want to stress is the hospital systems are under significant stress in northern Ohio. One of the things that we've been helped with, as General Harris said, is the National Guard in terms of setting up a testing center because our EDs were very challenged with people going to get testing in the ED. Now they're going to the Walker Center. We're running 2,000 tests a day. But let me tell you about those tests. 36% of the people going into the Walker Center for testing are testing positive for COVID. That's a remarkable number, much higher almost than any other state that we're seeing in terms of the testing positivity rate. We're probably going to increase the hospitalizations. We've already cut back on elective surgeries, and now we're starting to core down in terms of our actual sites of surgery and bringing them in so that we can, t- so that we can take care of the most essential surgery and all the COVID patients and all the other patients with heart disease, neurologic disease. So, Governor, I'll flip it back to you. Well, Doctor, thank you. We're, we're very, very grateful. Let me now go to Dr. Richard Lofgren, uh, CEO, uh, UC Health, uh, down in Cincinnati. Doctor. Thank you, Governor. It truly is a crisis in our health care system right now. And at times, I really feel like our community doesn't fully appreciate what's happening um, in our communities related to that. You know, unfortunately, the pandemic is not over. And as you just mentioned, we are seeing more cases now than we've ever seen along the way. And I'm in southwest Ohio, and right now we are besieged with the surge, but nowhere near what uh, Dr. Wiley's experiencing to the north. 
through the beginning, throughout the fall here, we've seen this huge surge for Delta. And now the spread of Omicron is just adding fuel to this raging fire. And as mentioned before, in some of our communities, one in three, one in four patients in the hospital right now have COVID. And one of the things I think that I want to make sure that people understand is that this not only affects the care of the people with COVID, but also affects people who don't have COVID. It squeezes out our ability to take care of patients with other life-serious and life-threatening problems, such as heart attacks and strokes. You hear about people coming into the emergency room and uh, they can't breathe and immediately need to be on a, on a ventilator. And yet they sit on a ventilator receiving critical care in the hallway in an emergency department waiting one, two, three, four days to get an ICU bed. I mean, it's just not the ideal setting for a patient, for their family, and frankly, for their staff. The most important thing is getting vaccinated and to get the, re the booster. I also think with a, a, a variant like Omicron in our community, which is so contagious, that means the things that we do and simple things like wearing a mask indoors is really a way in which we can mitigate and reduce the spread, allow our hospitals to care for our community as it has done in the past. What is your best uh, estimate, or do you have any in regard to what they're seeing in the north? Uh, you may be seeing in the in the, the southwest. Yeah, we you know we monitor the uh, data on a on a regular basis, working through ODH and the Ohio Hospital Association, and model it. And uh, you know, I think that we are seeing that these is, when we see a hotspot in one area, it does spread through the entire state. It may be urban going to rural. It may be north going to south. And I think we're seeing data that certainly says, and I know that we are continuing to see a rise in, the, in southwest Ohio. Um, that's not as dramatic as what we're seeing in the Cleveland area. But my fear is that we're only a couple of weeks behind. Thank you. Let me now go to Jennifer Hollis, uh, critical care nurse, Riverside Methodist Hospital. Thank you, Governor DeWine, for having me here today. I just want to bring everybody to be able to walk a mile in my shoes and kind of understand as a critical care nurse what I am seeing on a daily basis that I am coming into work. It is beyond difficult. Our beds are full. There's nowhere else to go, and we are just as short-staffed as everybody else is seeing as well. So anywhere that I can come in, I will, might have a flex assignment, and at that same time, so does my coworker who is sitting right next to me on the same pod. So what a day looks like when we're coming in is the constant beeping of ventilators and IV pumps. And we're wondering where is that beeping coming from? And we are rushing, praying that it's not a life-saving medication that is beeping in that room because I might be caught up in another isolation room and heaven forbid I'm missing something. And that is always our biggest fear is that we are missing something because we are so maxed. We are tired and we are frustrated and we want the best for all of our patients and all of the family members that are coming. And that seems to be the hardest thing of everything that we constantly feel that we are bearing the weight of is the emotional support that we are needing to constantly provide for our families who cannot be there sometimes because they live two and a half hours away. Or if it's because they feel the weight of the world on their shoulders for feeling guilty because they are the ones that gave their loved one laying in that hospital bed COVID. And that is something that is beyond unbearable to feel that, you know, you, there's nothing that you no more can do. And for everybody that is scared of this vaccine, I, I ask you and beg you to look at 
the complications that come with the medications that we have to do to save you after you already have it, or the effects that happen from having a ventilator, a tube down your throat for that long, for laying in a bed for that long. We always say that for every day that you lay in that bed, it's as as, as if I lay down in a bed for three days and didn't move, the muscle atrophy and everything that goes along with that, it's not just about the medications, the vaccine, it has to do with everything. And if I can do anything to help prevent that, I'm begging you to please get vaccinated. Please help our ERs. Do not go to our ERs just to get tested. And please, if you are symptomatic and can't get a test, because I understand that from what I'm hearing, that those volumes are low, just stay home and quarantine and follow the CDC and ODH guidelines. Portions of a news conference held Wednesday in Columbus. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and thanks for listening. You deserve the peace of mind that comes with affordable health insurance. Get Covered Ohio can help at no charge. Financial assistance is available and coverage is more affordable than ever. Some health insurance plans are as low as $10 or less a month. Don't wait. Open enrollment ends January 15th. Make your free appointment today by calling 833-628-4467 or visit getcoveredohio.org. This message is supported by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, but does not necessarily represent the official views of the U.S. government. Sponsored by the Ohio Association of Food Banks, aired by the OAB and the station. Chris Holtman's Buckeyes are back in action for a Big Ten battle with Nebraska. Live fan coverage starts Sunday night at 6.30. Every game, every season. Proud to be your home for Buckeye basketball. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. One is over. We experienced so much this past year as a country and here in Ohio, from an attack on the Capitol to the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine. The question that I get asked, of course, every day is, when will my group be able to open up? When will I be able to get uh, a vaccination? To another surge of cases. 22 months. 22 months of this pandemic has taken its toll on our health care workers. This morning, we look back at the year and ahead to 2022. Thank you so much for joining us today for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. To get perspective from both sides of the aisle of 2021, we talked with Herb Asher, Professor Emeritus of the Ohio State University Department of Political Science and Republican strategist Terry Casey. The first topic of discussion, the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. What lessons are there to be learned from that incident? Terry Casey. For January 6th, it kind of fits the title of that movie, Dumb and Dumber. Clearly, some people did some stupid and illegal things. 
And I kind of use the sports analogy. There's a lot of people who don't take losses well. I can remember some my University of Miami fans from the championship game and Michigan fans who didn't like a official's call. But in this case, there clearly were a lot of federal judges and local judges, many of them appointed by Trump and Republicans, who said no and stop and that there wasn't evidence there. So hopefully we've learned some things, but you don't want to do dumb things again. Herb One lesson we should have learned is that democracy can be very fragile, that it is actually possible for a small group of people in in power, including the former president and his allies, to basically try to overturn the results of a legitimate election. It is such a, 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 an awful set of events that the people most responsible for it, you might say, were really committing treason. There's really disloyalty to the United States of America. The next topic encompasses all of 2021, the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine and how it divided the nation. We asked how the politicization of the pandemic affected our ability to move through it. Sadly, we've had the vaccine and things related to COVID politicized, and it's happened on both sides. We can argue who was a bigger offender one way or the other, but even Democrats and Republicans now are agreeing this is going on too long. But the sad news, kind of in the predictions for the future department, we're probably going to be in a situation where we're going to have to have boosters every year given. Uh, We're also going to have to do some testing on if you've had COVID, did you have any immunity and how long does that last? And also, if you look at Ohio, there's some dramatic differences based on geography, rural versus urban areas. And then demographically, there's a lot of different groups, young and old and other categories where there's very different results and impacts. So unfortunately, COVID's gone on too long. I can remember when we thought it was only going to be two or three months. Now it might be two or three years, and clearly the numbers are ramping up. And the big thing to watch is hospitalization, because cases, if they're milder, might not be quite as dangerous. But when people have to go to the hospital, when they impact the ICU wards and elective surgery, that's when it really gets difficult. It's such a sad commentary that uh, public health and public safety vaccinations and masks have gotten so weaponized, so politicized. Uh, And in part that has happened uh, because uh, throughout the last two years of his presidency, Donald Trump was sort of, again, didn't take the, uh, uh, the virus very seriously. The one thing he did do that I thought was very good was to really encourage the development of the vaccine at warp speed. And uh, but then the whole notion of saying people should get vaccinated, you know, be a leader out there and encourage that. And and his typical response was, uh, well, you know, do it if you want. Finally, the fight over district lines in Ohio. It's an issue that gained national attention. So how likely is it that Ohio's new redistricting map is struck down by the state Supreme Court and why? Under the constitutional amendment, it's very clear that the court just can't grab it 
appoint a special master and draw it however they want. They can point out examples of fix this and fix that in a House district or a state Senate district and send it back to the committee and tell them to fix it. What I think is going to happen is that the chief justice is going to express her frustration at the way the amendment is written, the way certain things were done, the lack of bipartisanship and coming up with a 10-year plan. But the chief justice is very well aware there's an upcoming deadline in early February where candidates have to get filed. They have to have their residence in place, and we got to have an election. We just can't say we'll keep the state reps uh, the terms are going to be up in a year and we'll keep them for another year while we argue it out in court. And then we've got congressional districting waiting in the wings, too. So the elections are coming and that's going to force the hand of the court. And again, the specific language in the constitutional amendment, people love to quote one or two sections without putting it in context that in section six says you can only follow that in attempting after you've done sections two, three, four, five and and seven minor details, but legalities matter. I think it's very likely, and I think it's very likely because it basically uh, ignores the constitutional amendments that the voters of Ohio approved. Now the problem becomes: what happens if the court issues that real that ruling? What will the legislature do? Will they go back and just tinker a little and give something back that's still unconstitutional? All right. So next week, we will talk about 2022, specifically the midterm election, the U.S. Supreme Court abortion hearing in Mississippi and the governor's race right here in Ohio. Perhaps when you look back at 2021, you feel like this. I, I know that for so many of us, dealing with COVID is something that we're just getting tired of having to do. We talk with the Department of Health Director, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, about how Ohio handled the vaccine rollout this year. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. In this pandemic, what made 2021 different from the year before was the rollout of the COVID vaccines. 10TV's Lindsay Mills spoke with the Department of Health Director, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, for a look back on the year and his message for 2022. Let's start off with going back to January of this year and the rollout of the vaccine was underway what were your thoughts during that time? Were you feeling a sense of hope? Absolutely. You know, the vaccines came to us uh, at a very important time. We were seeing uh, a very high wave of hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, and there was no indication that that wave was going to slow down at any time soon. And it was right at that moment that 
our vaccines came on the scene and they worked incredibly well. So in the early weeks of rollout, the rollout went very well. And then adding on to that, the clinical impact of those vaccines was evident literally within a matter of weeks of their rollout, where we saw some of our most vulnerable populations have uh, marked improvements in hospitalizations and in death rates. At what point did it turn to, there was more supply available of vaccine, but less people were willing to get the vaccine? Yeah, so, you know, the vaccine rollout uh, proceeded very, very well. And uh, we knew that there would come a point where there would be a shift from uh, vaccinating those who were eager to get the vaccine to now beginning the process uh, of uh, developing a sense of confidence uh, among those who were more on the fence about a new vaccine. And we really began to approach that point uh, in the late spring heading into the summer. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that that was to be expected. We, we certainly were fully anticipating that uh, we would reach a place where uh, essentially the, those who were enthusiastic, those who were eager to receive the vaccine had gotten their vaccine. And now uh, the uh, larger work of helping more people in the population understand the vaccines, understand their remarkable efficacy and the remarkable safety profile. And somewhere along, you know, the summer into the fall, um, we started hearing about boosters, more and more about boosters as we were dealing with Delta, as we were talking about how to get kids back in the classroom. And so for you, what was that time like dealing with those three topics all at once and having to navigate us? Yeah, well, you know, um, we're very familiar with boosters. And as we think about boosters, uh, we all know uh, from getting shots throughout our lives that boosters tend to be something that are needed for uh, various uh, vaccines. So I don't think any of us in the medical field were particularly surprised that we reached a point where it became evident that there was some waning of the protection that we were uh, getting from our primary series of COVID-19 vaccines and that a booster was going to be needed. The problem is that as is normal, um, our availability of antibodies in our bloodstream does begin to decline over time, which with the Delta variant, given how aggressive it is, has then created more opportunity for even vaccinated people to get the virus and spread it to others or develop some mild to moderate illness themselves. And so what we found was, you know, but a booster bumps those antibody levels right back up and provides great protection. And Dr. Vanderhoff, my last question, um, looking back on the last year, is there anything that you would have done differently? Anything you would change? You know, I think that we have done a pretty good job in the face of something that it was a virus no one had ever seen before, a virus that was not well understood or characterized. And uh, I think that um, 
what we in public health and uh, certainly here in Ohio have aimed to do from the beginning has been to share what we know, be honest about what we don't know, and as tools become available, especially the vaccines, to be honest with people, share with them what we know about the vaccines, how they work, their safety profile. Um, And so I, I actually feel pretty good about how we have approached something that was totally unknown and had a a profound impact on healthcare and healthcare delivery in a very short period of time. That was Lindsay Mills talking with Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff. We also reflected on 2021 with the Lieutenant Governor. Every day, every day that I spend is about how I can leave the pandemic in the past, recognize that we're in an endemic stage where this is just going to be with us and learn to live with it. What he had to say about job creation over the past year and the response to his controversial Wuhan virus tweet. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college. Learn new instruments. Start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Teachers shape the future. Right now, in a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who'll make preventing pandemics their life's work. Sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who'll help combat climate change and generating possibilities for a student who'll be the first in their family to graduate college. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. We wanted to catch up with our key political leaders here in the state of Ohio and take a look back at the year and some of the highlights and the challenges that we faced as a state and in the pandemic. 10TV's Clay Gordon sat down with Lieutenant Governor John Husted. So we've been a year in the pandemic since the vaccine started rolling out here in Ohio. Um, from your perspective, 2021, compare that to 2020 from a leadership role. Well, what was that like for you? Well, it, it went from 2020 when we didn't know what we were dealing with to, to a crisis that we didn't know what the solution was to managing the solution in 2021. The vaccine changed it all uh, because we could now protect ourselves. Uh, 
in 2020, we had no protection other than distancing and masking and washing our hands. In 2021, we had access to a vaccine that worked, uh, that uh, either kept you from getting sick or at least limited the opportunity that you would get severely sick, which could enable people to resume uh, much of their normal lives, to go back to work, uh, to uh, do family gatherings, to begin to socialize and, and resume the lives that they remembered. Uh, and, and so instead of being in crisis management, we were in opportunity management uh, where we were trying to promote it, get it done, get life back to normal, which is a much better place to be than what we faced uh, a year earlier. One of the hardships uh, you and the governor are facing now is Senate Bill 22 to limit the power the governor and the state health department has. That was passed and vetoed, passed again. Um, we've heard from the governor occasionally about this. Where, where do you stand on Senate Bill 22? Well, look, we Senate Bill 22 doesn't affect anything right now in terms of how we're managing the pandemic because we have the vaccine. Uh, the, the only thing with Senate Bill 22 is you never know what's going to come next. You never know if there's going to be a new type of disease uh, virus that's out there that um, we will need to respond quickly to. So this is the nature of how you make public policy. Um, you manage it. You have reactions to it. Um, but uh, for now, uh, Senate Bill 22 is not creating any management problems for us as it relates to any of this. Look, we're trying to move on. Uh, every day, Every day that I spend is about how I can leave the pandemic in the past, recognize that we're in an endemic stage where this is just going to be with us, and learn to live with it uh, as healthfully as we can uh, and allow people to return to their social and economic lives that they had before. And, and uh, that's just the nature of where we are at this phase. And part of getting back to normal is getting people back to work. Let's just talk some figures for a second. The latest figure that I have is from October, 5.1% unemployment. That's down from September. We talked, we've talked about this before. There's 250,000 open jobs in the state right now. It's a record. How are we trying to get people back into the job force? Well, yeah, we're creating jobs in Ohio faster than we can find people to fill them. I, just to put this in perspective, on unemployment compensation, we have 50,000 people in Ohio, which is really historically low. Um, we have 150,000 jobs just on OhioMeansJobs.com that pay $50,000 a year or more, 250,000 jobs total. Uh, I can't believe how quickly we've recovered, frankly. Uh, I remember sitting there during the pandemic where we, we, we two weeks earlier had record low unemployment and then in, uh, literally in a two-week period went to record high unemployment. I thought it would take a decade to recover. Largely, we are recovered in terms of people who want jobs being able to find them. But we still have challenges, and then a lot of people left the workforce and aren't coming back. And every business that I talk to today will, will, no matter where I go, whatever industry sector it is, they're like, I have jobs open, I can't find people to fill them. We are all hands on deck with trying to provide job training opportunities to try to connect people who maybe left one industry sector to get them connected to another. There's a gubernatorial election next year. Um, you and the governor planning on running for re-election, right? Oh, yeah. We're... we're uh, putting the campaign operation together and, and uh, just honored to have so many people who are out there helping us and willing to support us uh, for another term. Why do you want to run again? 
Well, it's a pretty easy question because we have a lot of things to accomplish in Ohio that are still not accomplished. Well, you know, COVID, COVID did distract us a, a bit, but it, we never took our eye off the ball. We are focused on the innovation economy. We're focused on the workforce. Uh, I really believe that the next 10 years in Ohio create an enormous opportunity for us to reshore things that have been being produced overseas, that, that, that companies now are saying we want to ma- manufacture those things in America, that, that Ohio is uniquely positioned to win that. Is there any possibility of you breaking off and trying to run for the governor's seat yourself at some point? Oh, goodness, no. We're, governor DeWine and I are going to run for re-election. He's going to run for governor. I'll run for lieutenant governor. And then what happens beyond that? Well, we'll let the future work itself out. Well, let's touch on something back in the spring. Uh, on March 26th, you tweeted a comment, shared an article about former Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Robert Redfield telling CNN he believes the coronavirus originated in a lab in Wuhan, China, despite having no evidence. This tweet received a lot of criticism, specifically in the Asian American community. Many called it offensive. Now, I know you've had private discussions with them, a lot of groups since that day. Is there anything that you want to take this opportunity and say publicly um, about maybe some of your comments? Uh, Look, the Chinese Communist Party created this global pandemic by concealing it from Americans and people from around the world. Uh, They mishandled the situation, whether the origin was in the Wuhan lab or the Wuhan market. That's where it came from. That's the nature of what I was trying to explain. Uh, I believe that the Chinese Communist Party, uh, in many ways, is not being held to account. I think more Americans, more American corporations need to be held to account. Uh, That was the nature of my comments, and I stand by those because that was... The point I was trying to make, and I think it's even, I think that whatever we are, six months later, it's even more true now than it was then. Is there any way you would have handled that situation differently? I probably would have inserted the word lab. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there were others who were trying to distort that as meaning something else than what it did. I was focused on the disease, the cover up by the Chinese Communist Party, and um, that, that's that's it. That's what the focus was, and I believe it was true then, and it's true now. So you do not think it's necessary for any any sort of apology? No. Is there um, any message you want to say uh, for you know the Christmas time for our viewers um, during this time? Yeah. So you know, look, this is a time of year when we reflect on on our past and and have the hope for the future. And I want to wish everybody. Uh, Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Uh, and remember the people who are less fortunate. Um, you know, it can also be a lonely time for people who maybe don't have the support of family or community. Uh, don't forget about them. Um, reach out to them. Help, uh, help put a smile on someone else's face by um, your show of kindness during the holiday season. Thank Clay Gordon for that report. A view of 3rd District Congresswoman Joyce Beatty beyond the steps of her start at the State House. She shared her journey to the U.S. Capitol with Columbus Monthly. 
never in my wildest dreams would I think that I would be walking into the United States Capitol, going to the White House, sitting down with the president of the United States, riding on Air Force One and Two with a black vice president. And so when I read the article, uh, it was breathtaking uh, to read about yourself in the way that the article was written, to talk about your successes and to talk about your challenges and the things that you had to fight for and fight against and stand up for. But I think it shows the nation and at least the state of Ohio and our community that if you stand up for justice, you can make a difference. And Congresswoman Beatty says her work is about having the courage and commitment to take action. We thank you all for joining us today. Remember, if it affects you, your family in Ohio, we are certainly here to make sure those accountable face the state. Have a great day. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. There's a child in Kenya, or Sierra Leone, or India, or Bolivia, who you could connect with. And through Child Fund, it's possible. We may be thousands of miles apart, but we can still connect with each other. And when we do, we make things better. We connect children all around the world with what they need to grow up healthy, educated, and safe. That's what Child Fund is about. Together, we co-create, support, and sustain connections that lead to greater well-being for millions of children who live in poverty worldwide, in their families, in their communities, in their countries, and you. Join us. Together, we can make the world a better place. Two small worlds at a time. His and yours. Visit childfund.org to learn more. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone, Chad Jester, who is the president of the Nationwide Foundation. How are you? Doing well, Dave. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the Nationwide Foundation is. The Nationwide 
Life Foundation is a 501c3 organization, so it is a nonprofit foundation uh, solely supported by the nationwide companies. Give us an example of, of some of the efforts that you're involved in. We're involved with quite a bit in Ohio and throughout the country, so one of our most noteworthy uh, partners is Nationwide Children's Hospital. So we do a lot of financial support and engagement with the team at Nationwide Children's. We also support and partner with United Ways, uh, Feeding America's Food Banks, Red Cross local chapters and their national organization, as well as the Urban League throughout the country. Um, in addition to that, we partner with many local organizations in the Columbus market um, and throughout the United States. And one area of your involvement is the Ohio Opioid Education Alliance, which is uh, has really become a, a huge effort. Yeah, it really has, Dave. So the Opioid Alliance was created a few years ago, back in 2018, as we came together within central Ohio and throughout the state uh, to combat the opioid epidemic at the time. So the alliance was created to really have a place for business, nonprofit government and education organizations to come together, learn about the challenges, uh, get information, talk to their stakeholders about the challenges of opioid abuse and misuse, what we can all do about it um, as Ohioans, including talking to our kids about the dangers of substance abuse and misuse. And that has been an ongoing campaign, an education campaign that kind of told uh, parents, uh, you know, don't put your head in the sand over the idea that this can't happen to your family and that uh, open communication is one of the ways to help try to prevent it. It really is, Dave. It's a great call out. So the more we're all aware of the challenges facing our young people, whether it's substance um, misuse and abuse, mental health issues, and the more we talk about it, the healthier we will be as a community and as a society. And it's one thing that uh, we really have as a takeaway from the uh, the campaign of Denial Ohio, uh, where the conversation really was healthy. It engaged more people. We all came away learning so much more, including how to support our kids. The uh, opioid problem in Ohio is uh, something that it seems like a few years ago was beginning to turn around and then the pandemic hit. Yeah, it, it was. The, the heightened awareness around uh, the challenges of opioids. And you know, opioids are a pretty broad class of drugs, as you may know. So fentanyl is an opioid, which is uh, something that we see in, in the news all the time, fentanyl, uh, fentanyl being a synthetic that many times is attributed to overdoses. So that challenge is still upon us um, here in Ohio and throughout the United States. But additionally, with the pandemic, uh, we saw within the state uh, increased consumption of, of uh, substances such as alcohol. And we know that the fragility of individuals in the state uh, was put upon even more so with the pandemic from a mental health standpoint. I saw some statistics 2019, the last year, were I guess total numbers are out. And it was, according to the Department of Health, 4,028 people in Ohio died of unintentional drug overdoses, a 7% increase from 2018. As you mentioned, fentanyl is, is an ever-increasing part of that. Yeah, so the experts, um, when they uh, share information on fentanyl, is a bit scary on how fentanyl can be used in so many other substances, um, can even be uh, pressed into looking like a pill um, and it's pure fentanyl. So uh, the, uh, the folks in the state of Ohio, uh, the experts, have shared that last year was a pretty tough year for Ohioans, with in particular May and June uh, being high overdose months within the state. And again, that was right on the heels 
of the pandemic kicking off just a few months later. So we can all imagine that if you have an illness such as addiction or mental health and a pandemic um, is uh, layered into the challenges you're already dealing with every day, uh, that Ohioans are in a pretty challenging place in total. Um, so we believe it's up to all of us as Ohioans, you know, living in Columbus and throughout the state, to be informed, to be engaged, and really challenge ourselves about the stigmas that apply to mental health and addiction. Talking with Chad Jester, president of the Nationwide Foundation, uh, this uh, effort with the Ohio Opioid Education Alliance rolling out a new effort, a new focus on this. Yes, we are, Dave. It, the new campaign is called Beat the Stigma, and it really is an outgrowth and connection to Recovery Ohio, um, our statewide organization, uh, where all the experts in the state come together and talk about some of the biggest challenges facing the state. Stigma reduction, top on the list. So stigma reduction tied to mental health issues, tied to addiction issues, substance uh, abuse and misuse. Um, and the stigmas that go with the big challenges within our state, within our society. And the Beat the Stigma campaign is focused on uh, reducing stigma tied to addiction and mental health. So I think everybody's probably familiar with the uh, Denial Ohio campaign, and that's what uh, we're talking about. The same folks that were involved in that is now involved in Beat the Stigma. And words and the type of references to these sorts of issues that people should be getting used to are using words like substance misuse disorder instead of words like uh, junkie or, you know, all these negative connotations that we have about these issues. Exactly. So the words we use and the thoughts we have can either reduce stigma um, or add to the stigma. So our goal with the Beat the Stigma campaign, which Ohioans will come to know very well here soon, um, is really to challenge what you know about addiction and mental illness. You know, these are illnesses. Um, we want to make sure that the folks understand that addiction and mental illness are also closely related to a person's family history. This is not a sign of moral failure or a weak character. We want folks to know your own family history and the risk factors and discuss them with your children. Um, and third, we want to make sure that we all develop and utilize empathy, not judgment. As you were just saying, the words can be very judgmental, but we want to use empathy regarding people with addiction and mental illness. So the greater understanding and compassion we can have, uh, the healthier we'll all be. So here's uh, one of the television commercials. It's a, a word letter game, and the missing letters are clearly those that would finish up the words family history that these contestants are trying to solve. Here's the 30-second commercial. Research shows that this is responsible for 50% of your risk for alcohol addiction. Cameron. Making bad choices. That, that's not it, Cameron. Lack of self-control. We're looking at the same words, right? Hanging out with the wrong people, Jeff. We're going to end it there. All your answers were stigmas, so you did not beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about addiction. And it's uh, so interesting because, you know, I think we all understand that, you know, somebody, if they're 15 years old or 25 years old, when they take that first drink, it may affect them much more profoundly than other people. And the same thing can happen with these types of uh, substance issues. Yeah, that's exactly on point. So when we talk about family history, it really is understanding for each of us 
Um, what have the, the generations before us dealt with? Have, have there been mental health issues within your family? Um, have there been alcohol misuse um, issues within your family, other substance um, issues? The confluence of mental health um, and substance misuse is prevalent as well. Um, so if you have a family history, it's really good to understand that family history and have open, healthy conversations, especially with children um, in your family about the risks, because you're exactly on point. Um, when the time comes for the choice to have that uh, first drink, um, if you're better informed as a young person about your family history and the risk to you, which might be very, very different than risk to somebody else, um, you'll make a better choice. And if you use negative connotations, you know, whether you're calling somebody like that a drunk or you're calling somebody a junkie or, you know, you say that they haven't been clean for six months, every day that they hear that, it just beats them down more. Absolutely. So there is you know, quite a bit of impact on um, through stigma on individuals who are suffering in, in our community and in our state. Um, the goal of the Beat the Stigma campaign is really going to be focusing the camera, um, as the creative team will say, on us. So not on the individual who's suffering, but what role do we play? Um, are we carrying stigmas that we're not aware of? If so, how can we identify that and do a better job of reducing and alleviating our stigmas so our interactions with individuals who are suffering from mental illness or substance misuse disorder um, are healthier? So it's enough of a battle uh, to go through one of these illnesses. Um, it's an added challenge to have stigma projected to you by others. So if we can get everyone to understand that and have more empathy um, around individuals suffering from these diseases, we'll be in a much better place. And there's a huge amount of support uh, on this campaign. The state of Ohio has come in in a big way. The state of Ohio is fantastic. They are um, you know, the leaders uh, financially with this campaign. They're also the leaders um, who've done the research throughout the state for a number of years that led to the Recovery Ohio plan. And again, the, an anti-stigma campaign tied to mental health and addiction is in the Recovery Ohio plan, uh, one of the most prevalent pieces of the plan. Um, everything else is, is more challenging to move forward as a state if we don't address the issues of stigma. So uh, with the success of the Denial Ohio campaign, with the priority of the Recovery Ohio plan, the state of Ohio, uh, the Nationwide Foundation, Adam H. of Franklin County, many other partners have come together to create the Beat the Stigma campaign. And the state of Ohio, along with private sector, um, are investors in this effort. Talking with Chad Jester, president of the Nationwide Foundation, Nationwide's uh, national marketing and advertising agency is involved behind this as well. And what is it about the involvement of corporate America in these campaigns? Why are they so invested in this? Well, it's really in the best interest of our society. So although Nationwide and uh, many other companies are engaged, along with other sectors, um, the campaign will not carry anybody's brand. It will carry the Ohio Opioid Education Alliance brand and Beat the Stigma. Those are the two brands that folks will see uh, because this is about societal benefit. Um, as you think about all of us in, in the state and whatever sector we work in, we're all employers one way or another. And issues of addiction and mental health and these illnesses impact all of our businesses. You know, whether we're for-profit, not-profit, um, education, government entities, 
And uh, society walks in the door to all of our businesses each day. And when we have employees or their family members who are challenged by these illnesses, if we have loved ones who are challenged, uh, we carry that with us each and every day into the workplace. It might have an impact on our ability to do our job. Um, and as we think about employers around the state, Dave, who are very challenged um, to acquire talent today and fill all the jobs that are open, uh, we want to make sure that every individual who would like to seek a job, even if they are facing a mental health or addiction issue, uh, that they are supported and can enter the workforce and contribute to our society. Data from a 2019 survey by the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration combined with Ohio population data showed that one in 13 Ohioans struggle with addiction. So with this campaign, what is it that people will see and and what are you hoping the difference will be? They will see the campaign in so many different mediums. So there'll be um, ads on TV, social media will be utilized out of home or billboards will be utilized as well. Um, Radio obviously is gonna be a key platform, print media as well. So every way that we can reach Ohioans, we will be reaching Ohioans. So a billboard uh, will have an intersectionality with ads that you might hear on the radio or see on TV. So the common messaging about really thinking about yourself and the stigmas that you carry, understanding your family history, talking to young people in your family about your family history, and developing that sense of empathy will be constant messages reinforced over and over again. Uh, This is a complex issue. It's challenging, um, but it is worth taking on, and that's what we're here to do. And the challenges behind it, you know, some of the news has involved, I believe it was a 260-pound bust of fentanyl in Mexico, one of the, maybe the biggest ever in that country. Then there's also this new form of synthetic opioid that's hitting the streets that's even more powerful than fentanyl or carfentanyl. Yeah, I've seen those reports as well, Dave, and um, I think for all of us who are paying attention to um, overdoses in particular, many of which are attributed to fentanyl, it's scary. You know, at the same time, other substances like alcohol, uh, which might not make the news quite as much because of um, uh, the lack of overdose numbers tied to it, are still as impactful on people's lives each and every day. So uh, while we're going to be talking about addiction in total, um, there's a lot that goes into that category. There's also a lot of different challenges that come with mental health illnesses and as I mentioned earlier the confluence of mental health and addiction together Um, so it's a lot to to share to educate and ask people to be engaged in Uh, but we believe that the campaign is going to be highly successful thought-provoking which is the goal of the campaign to really engage Ohioans in these difficult issues um, and make sure that we're all on the path to develop more understanding and empathy. Talking with Chad Jester, president of the Nationwide Foundation. Now, as people begin to see these ads and and be exposed on social media to the message, I'm sure uh, accompanying those are places to go online to get more information. Absolutely. BeatTheStigma.org. Again, that's BeatTheStigma.org. So not only will tools be there to help all of us understand if we are holding stigmas as individuals, but also give information on um, how to understand your family's history, talk to children, keep learning and developing more empathy. Also, we'll have resources on the site that if uh, you or a loved one are challenged and struggling with these issues, you know where to go for assistance here in Ohio. Um, so it'll be a very robust site and, um, and it'll be listed in the ads again 
beatthestigma.org. Chad, anything else you'd like to add? We just appreciate your time today, Dave. It's, um, it's a battle uh, worth fighting for all of us to reduce the stigma tied to addiction and mental health of our, of our neighbors, of our family members, of those um, who share this great state with us. All right. Again, it's beatthestigma.org online. And joining us, Chad Jester, president of the Nationwide Foundation. Thanks so much for the information today, Chad. Thank you, Dave. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.